Hello and welcome to another episode of the Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast with your hosts, Shelley and Bella. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 109 of the Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast. Thank oh, you. sorry. <laughs> I was kind of spacing it out. Getting carried away Hi. in the moment. <laughs> welcome guys. Thank you very much for joining us again. Sorry that there wasn't a show uh, last time you expected one two weeks ago. Uh, I've not been well. Uh, thank you for all the well wishes. Really appreciate that. Um, but that's the reason why uh, there was not one last time. But I'm fighting fit almost, and um, we're bringing one to you today. You're never fit. You're always ill. Charming. Well, I'm just saying. No, no, I, you just said very well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you said it very well. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, not all of us can have that rosy complexion, that, that glow mm. that you apparently have now that we've <laughs> bought that new light <laughs> to try and make your camera look a bit better. Uh, now I just look pale and... and Flaccid. Yeah. <laughs> flaccid. Flaccid. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> yeah, no, flaccid. <laughs> so, uh, welcome along, guys. Thank you very much for joining us once again. Uh, while we're on the thank yous, thank you very much uh, to Dave Pettibone once again for uh, his donation to our Buy a Coffee campaign that we're doing, and also to John and Melinda Barnes for exactly the same. Again. Again, guys, <laughs> honestly, can't thank you enough. Uh, it really is helping us uh, continue continue this uh and we have toyed with the idea of stopping it because of what it's costing us um and we're still a way to go until we cover our costs but you guys helping is is you know really really uh a great help more than you know so thank you very much for that uh finally i've got one more thank you to make um and that is to uh and this isn't a paid promotion by the way okay this is i'm going to talk about a company but this isn't a paid promotion um i had a little while ago i bought a uh a phone mount you know a car phone mount um and actually that's a lie my daughter bought me a car phone mount for christmas and it was amazing it was fantastic and it's not actually or I have it in the car, but since then I decided to join their customer service thing, which they got on Facebook. They got a customer service uh, group on on Facebook, which I thought was a brilliant idea from a company. Who's the actually, company? Well, I'm going to explain that in a minute. It's a really good idea for a company, I think, to have their customer service run through Facebook groups because yeah. then it kind of makes the company say, "Okay, I'm going to pay attention and listen to you," because they've kind of got accountability everyone else mm-hmm. is seeing the group you know so what a forward-thinking company to actually put their customer service on this group it makes them accountable i mean um, twitter does that to be fair yeah but people complain on twitter yeah this but but may choose to complain to a company by phoning their customer service or whatever with this company if you've got a problem and you need customer service, you go onto their Facebook group, you do a public post that says, I've got this problem, and the company publicly come back to you 
with a response. Right. So I thought, okay, I'll I'll join this. I'll join this Facebook group. It's only a phone mount, you know. But I thought I'll I'll join it because it's a really good idea. So I did. Um, and then um, they do quizzes all the time. So I I entered this quiz, which was like three or four questions, and. I won a phone mount. In fact, I won two phone mounts, right? What am I going to do with those phone mounts? The company, by the way, is a company called Andobil, okay? A-N-D-O-B-I-L. Um, the Facebook group is headed by uh, a lady by the name of Julie Chan, okay? And she said that I'd won and that she'd send me two phone mounts. So, uh, so I get this right. So she sent me this one uh, for those people that are watching it on uh, YouTube, uh, which I've actually put on our next to where I sleep in, in bed, okay, I've got this cabinet and I stuck it to the side of the cabinet. So now when I'm in bed, I can watch with my phone, I can watch YouTube videos and whatever I want while she's snoring. Um, you know, I can I can watch this stuff with my headphones on so I'm not disturbing her even though she's disturbing me. And then you still put Big Bang on the TV. Well, so that... Uh -huh. And I thought, I've got to mention it, because not only do I think that the idea of a customer service uh, group on, on Facebook is a really good idea, but also, you know when you put a phone mount in a car? It's usually on top of the dash, isn't it? You know? And the, the phone then purchases... Or it sticks and, in the vent or something. Yeah. But this is stuck on the side of our cabinet, you know, on a vertical, smooth surface, and it hasn't fallen off. And I just thought that was great. And the other one she sent me was a one for a bicycle. I don't have a bicycle. So what am I using it for? I've put it on my drum kit, held onto one of the uh, tubes that goes through, so that now I can play with headphones to the stuff with my phone. And, and it's mounted onto my drum kit. Great idea. But anyway, yeah, so I just want to say thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, Amazing, really, really good company. So, and Bill, check them out if you want any kind of phone mounts. Brilliant. Anyway, let's get on with the show. Some interesting stuff has happened uh, in the news, uh, weird news that is over the last couple of weeks, and we're just going to touch on a couple of them. Um, one thing that is like Jurassic Park, or what? They yeah. are looking to not looking to they are doing it they've raised 12.6 million euros to do this they're taking the dna of a mammoth the woolly mammoth that's obviously extinct now they've taken the dna from their tusks and from bones that have been found uh in ice uh, in the arctic um and they are going to insert that dna into the genome of an asian elephant See, that sort of stuff scares me because where is that going to end? Yeah, yeah. Where is it going to end? Well, because, are they, because they, we're immediately thinking Jurassic Park, aren't we? Well, yeah, but I also watched a documentary um, quite a while back about the Shroud of Turin, which is the thing that they believe covered jesus after he died yeah and they say that has blood on it so what are they going to do then take a little bit of that blood then and try to see who that really i mean you know it's debatable whether it was jesus or not but i mean that's you know so, so you can go that far with it or 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 what if you have i don't think jesus 
if he comes back, is going to terrorise the world. No, no, okay? no. But my Eating point people. is... But my, but my point is, if you can get that DNA, then what happens if you somebody you love dies? What what I mean? Okay, but the, I think that's different because you're not bringing back the soul of somebody, are you? you well, know, I don't know. We've that, had debates about this: <laughs> the brain or the heart. Yeah, yeah, I guess. But then, if 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 you believe that you can bring back the soul from something that's been frozen in ice and you've extracted the dna and you can bring back the soul of that are you saying then that that woman that woolly mammoth that woolly mammoth soul has been preserved for that amount of time or are you saying that and this is a this is a really good or not good idea but interesting idea that has just come into my mind if there is a link between your dna and your soul so let's say for instance we've heard of um spooky action at a distance uh, einstein theorized it before the idea that you can take uh two uh photons of of light uh break them down into their um their uh the parts that make them up okay uh these little uh particles and then move one and stick it on the moon and have the other one here you agitate this one by and heating it or whatever it. and the other one starts reacting in exactly the same way at exactly the same time with no discernible time delay between the two and no visible link between the two so what if dna then has that same quantum entanglement they call it between those particles and maybe when you reactivate that dna you do call back the soul well, you know, there is um, it is a, a thing about freezing people after they die in the hope that <clears throat> they'll eventually figure out how to 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 uh, well, thaw them out. I guess pe- there's some famous and, people um, that have done it, haven't they? Thaw them out, and then um, there is. I actually watched a documentary not that long ago um, where they said like they they're doing it already. Okay, and you. It, you pay X amount for your whole body, or you can do just your brain. All right, okay. And it's cheaper. Wouldn't that be a right nightmare if you found out then that your soul was, you know, in your stomach tissue or something <laughs> like, you know yeah. what I mean? And, um, you know, you have your brain, like, thawed out, and they put you back together, and there's nothing there. So, so okay, so, so they're going to... They're going to do this thing with the woolly mammoth DNA into an African elephant. Do they know that the African elephant actually, for real, came from the woolly mammoth? Or are they... So, but, but they're still going to come up with something that's not quite the same, aren't it's they? It's going to be hybridized, isn't it? It's going to be a mixture, yeah. Um, but um, the idea is, and I don't understand how this is going to happen, but the idea is it's all to do with creating the biodiversity again but also they reckon that it can um revitalize arctic grasslands and i don't know i don't know quite how that's going to happen i presume i would have thought that if the woolly mammoth eat the grass then surely the grassland is going to have to be there for the woolly mammoth to eat the grassland but then maybe what they could do is create a small area of grassland put the woolly mammoth on that when the woolly mammoth poos. poops, yeah. he's spreading the seeds of the grass to wider areas, and maybe that's the the idea behind it. I don't know. Well, I don't know, but um, 
I, I just think it's a... I, what was it? Dolly the sheep. Dolly the sheep. You know? I You know, I think, personally, I think if it's done sensibly and carefully, I don't see there being an issue with it, personally. Although I'm sure that people could convince me the otherwise, you know, more intelligent people well, who say, but hang on a minute, you know. Well, what about when we were talking to Brandy and, she, you know, about that book that she wrote about all of the... Um, You're on first name terms stuff. with her now. Yeah, we, we're talking well, Dr. Brandy Scalacci, by the way, who was yeah, on our show. Yeah, I couldn't remember her ago. last name. I just knew that it, <laughs> the way that we started to say it was not correct. But anyway, you, you know, like, if they... I, I think, and it's just me... They're already doing this kind of stuff. They're just not talking about it. Could well be. Could well be. I mean, how long did it take for the dog stuff to come out and really, you know? Yeah. Again, the dog stuff Bella's referring to is the one in the Brandy Scalache uh, interview that we did. So, again, if you haven't seen that, go back and listen to it and you'll see what we're, what we're referring to or what Bella's referring to. So, yeah. So, okay then. On, on the, so, yes, it's a good idea. On the fence... Or, no, I don't think they should be doing it at all. I don't think they should be doing it. Really? So you've made your mind up. It's, it's a no. Uh, Natural selection I, has ruled them out already, I, I, and therefore they've had their the, time and they're done. There is a reason why, whatever that reason is, there is a reason why they are gone. You know, there is a reason why they've discovered a new um, type of dinosaur, you know? Did you did you hear about that? No. Yeah, they've discovered a new um, dinosaur, but but like if you think about Jurassic Park, right? The the dinosaurs don't need to be here. You know what I mean? They have devolved or been um, extinguished. But I think I, I think it's just not a good thing to do. But that's me. That's my opinion. Yes, you know, uh, uh, opposites attract because I think, yes, they should be doing it. I think that... But to what end? Well, to the end of, of the furtherance of science, you know. We are learning a lot about those particular things, you know, or we can learn a lot about those particular animals via the fossil records and everything else. But, you know, there might be other things that that animal has... That, that might wipe a lot can, of people out now? That, well, that, yeah, okay, mm -hmm. but that could also benefit us, you know. Don't get me wrong, if if they're reintroducing it to then kill it and eat it, I'm not in favour of that, you know. If they're, if they're introducing it to farm it, then I'm not into that. But And I'm not a vegan, by the way, or a vegetarian or anything like that. I just personally think don't reintroduce something and give it life to take it away again. Um, but then so, what would you do with it? You, so, let so, it live. so you would say um, it wouldn't be cloning whatever whatever so you're saying let's bring it back and then subject this life to poking and prodding and you know uh captivity and all that to try to learn from not it. necessarily captivity you know when you look at a lot of these animals well, that are, are out gonna... on the plains that are in big massive national parks that can live out a perfectly safe and happy life but what are you going to do with one woolly mammoth nothing they'd have to do another one wouldn't they I, I wouldn't have thought they'd do one well i'm just no but i'm just saying like so that's my point so you do it once and then what well, they're gonna. They would have to breed it, wouldn't they? And they would, well, you they, wouldn't be able to if you've only got one sex of it. Well, they would make two. You know, they're not gonna. 
They're not going to take out one string of DNA. So, They're okay. going to do loads of them. All They're right. going to do a, a few of them anyway, aren't they? Right. Because what, okay. if, what if the one doesn't fertilize properly? Okay, so let's think about it like this, right? So, woolly mammoth, African elephant. Boom, they make a baby. It's a, go- it's a boy, right? Yeah. So now they're going to study how does that, how do the parents um, sort of take care of this child? Is it the mother that does it? Is it a tag team? How do they do that, right? And then they're going to go, well, they're herd animals, right? Because elephants live in a group. So now they go, well, now we have to do another one because we need to see what happens. What's the group dynamic like? I don't think that they would have thought, okay, well, now we have to do another one. I think they would probably create a couple of them. Yeah, and they would probably... I Look, there's people a lot brighter than us that are, <laughs> no, that are working this out. Yeah, no, I, I know that. But I'm just saying, like, if, you, if, you're, if you're thinking that bringing something like that or, 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 you know, bringing that back and you're saying that you're all for it, for the advancement of science, well, where does the science end? I go. I, I understand what you mean. I understand what you mean. I think that okay. Let, let's let's make myself a little bit clearer then. If they are going to do it for the furtherance of science, fair enough, as long as it's done respectfully and with care for the animals. I don't think they should bring back an animal to to you know put it through pain and abuse and everything else. Yeah. But, you know, there's, there's lots of different things. You know, you could say, you know, virus and bacteria and everything are living, are living, no, I living things. No. Let's bring them back as well. You know, obviously well, we don't want to do that. that, that you, yeah, but, but they have and... That's, and they will. <laughs> and they will continue. You know... Yeah. I'm not going to no, labour on no. this, by the way, but just, just on, a, on a separate thing. Have you heard about this time traveller? There's another time traveller, guys, who's on TikTok. These time travellers love TikTok. What the hell? Okay. Time TikTok. Ha <laughs> um, Apparently, this time traveller has uh, come forward now. Apparently, he's from 2714, by the way, and says that there's going to be another pandemic worse than COVID. Hello? Yeah, that's, that's you know, mass. Evolution? Yeah, that's going to happen, right? You don't have to be a time traveller to work that out. And go and spread your, your fear-mongering somewhere else, your nutcase. Um, so, okay. Do you think if he came from then, he would have the ability to get back there? I mean, how, how much more evolved do you think? I was reading something actually the other day, right? Um, I think it was on Facebook. It was like a meme that was done, and it was quite funny. Someone was watching um, Back to the Future with their kids, and their kids said, because like they had to go they were went forward to like 1990 something or whatever yeah in the future um where there were obviously you know flying cars and everything else and obviously we passed that and and there was none of that or the year 2000 or whatever it was right Mm -hmm. um and this kid apparently said to the parent hang on a minute why is this called back to the future that was in the past (laughs) you know and it's funny thinking about it now we've actually outlived yeah back to the future you know, yeah. <laughs> Back to Future is not future anymore. So yeah, no. But you, thought, but it is a timeless movie though, because you can watch it. Well, for us anyway, we watch it, and it's very nostalgic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so did you hear about that Turkish man? Um, it, it was amazing. So this Turkish man, right? I think he went on a stag do or something like that, and he got totally, totally wrecked, right? Totally drunk, and um, and he went missing couldn't find him anywhere didn't know where he was 
Um, so there were search parties that were um, created. They went looking for this guy and everything. Um, and a couple of days later, um, a member of the search party was actually him. Uh, he'd, he'd come round from his drunken state. Uh, he'd found out that there was a search party looking for somebody. And he joined the search party looking for himself. Wow. What a badly organised search party. That he, didn't he like look at a picture that they were circulating or whatever and go, whoa, hang on a minute. That's me. <laughs> or, or or another one of the search party go, oh, hey. Yeah, exactly. How hard were they looking? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <They> <laughs> <You were know>? <laughs> probably, <laughs> it was probably not a search party. It was just a party of people walking with booze and <laughs> yeah, yeah. flashlights. I just thought that was crazy. Lighting their lighters like they're at a concert. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All drunk. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> yeah, no, I just thought that was uh, that was crazy. That was. Um, uh, while we're on uh, weird news as well, um, there was a Danish uh, artist. I love Danishes. He wasn't a Danish pastry that drew. He's an actual Danish person <laughs> uh, by the name of. I'm going to read this. Jens Hanning. H A A N I N G. Um, probably totally butchered that uh, pronunciation but anyway he was uh, commissioned by a um uh gallery to produce some art so oh, they paid him stupid they paid him $84,000 to produce this piece of art and he sent them back a blank canvas not a thing on it hadn't touched it sent it back to them boom and he entitled it, Take the Money and Run. Right? <laughs> and do you know what? They fucking put it up. They've got it on display. You, you'd think that he could have at least, like, was it totally a blank cam? you think he could have taken, like, different it. shades of white and, and sort no. of, you know, put something. I mean, he unwrapped it. Wow. I mean, that's that's what this artist apparently did. He just... But how pretentious of the gallery, in my opinion, to put it up and go, yeah, okay, that's art then. Who bought it? I wonder if anybody bought it. That would be even worse. That's just absolutely mind-blowing I'll buy me. that for $86,001. What a, <laughs> it's amazing what people call art. I'm going to let the dog go out in the garden later on and do a business, and I'm going to photograph it and sell it to some fucker. That's what, <laughs> honestly... The, I... Oh, where was it? It was some show that we were watching where there was actually poop decorators. Do you remember this? No. And they would walk around. They would walk around the... Um, oh, it's going to drive me up a, up a wall now. I'm not going to find it. So if anybody else has seen it. But but they would walk around um, and, and look at Pals the Dog Poo and they would make stuff out of it. I do remember that. It was in a European uh, country. It was, and it was on a travel show that we watched Some... with um, the guy from the IT crowd, Richard Ayoade. Was it him? I, I, I believe I just... it was something that I believe I may get this that totally wrong, but yeah, I'm pretty sure it was on a travel show and and in this European city, and it was somewhere like Berlin or somewhere like that mm. that they they have this artist. The street two, it's artist. Two, it's two people. It might have been America, actually. I, I'm i not sure. Well, I, yeah, because like, you can't do it here because if you don't pick up your poop, you're going to get in trouble. Yeah. Well, not your poop. I don't pick up your poop, but 
I don't pick up my poop either. But anyway. Are we done with the poop conversation now? Yeah, yeah, we're good. Okay. So, yeah, I, it blows my mind What's anyway. What's topic? That what whole, are we talking about? Oh, the blank the canvas. That's what we're talking but, about. <laughs> but, you know, who, you know, if you were to look at that objectively, who's in the wrong there? Is the artist in the wrong for literally just sending something back and saying, okay, I'm calling it take the money and run, and I've taken the money and I've run uh, because this is... And why didn't they call the cops? And why didn't they go, hold on a minute, we've asked you for a piece of art. If the artist then says, that is art, that is art, who who is he now to say that's not art? Because I tell you, the people that are selling the canvases could jump on this and go, fuck, each one of our canvases is now worth $84,000. And they're all originals. And they're all originals. (laughs) (laughs) And they're not signed by the person because they took the money and run. You know? Absolutely mental, isn't it? How crazy. Oh, oh, now the artist, every time he goes into a store and sees blank canvases, he'll be like, I'm suing you because... Yeah, because you've copied my work. You copied my work. (laughs) And in a fucking American court, you know, you'd probably fucking win. (laughs) That's nuts. I didn't think of that. (laughs) Um, All I can say is he must be high. Which leads me on to my next little tidbit. Segway? My next next little segue, yes. So... um, did you know, I know Bella did, because we've already spoken about this, but did you guys know that dolphins <laughs> have found a way to get their to get their groove on, to get high um, on pufferfish? It's amazing. You know, dolphins are that intelligent, they've gone, I can't like this. It doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work, okay? I've got to find out another way to, 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 to get high, right? Yeah. How am I going to do it, right? The dealers, they don't tend to hang around down there. So what do they do? They think... Let me try this. Um... What is it? <laughs> what is it down here that's poisonous that we could get high on? And that's what they've done. They've found puffer fish. But if they go up to a puffer fish and they attack it, the puffer fish re- releases this nerve toxin that's enough to, be, to kill the dolphin. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a proper defense mechanism. So what the dolphins have... <laughs> this is brilliant. What they've done is they've realised that if they get the puffer fish in their mouth and, and just kind of, like, roll it around their teeth and spit it out into the next dolphin's mouth, right? The next dolphin takes it and passes it on. It's like the peace pipe, you know, yeah, passing yeah. it along, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> so this puffer fish releases a little bit of the toxin because he's getting a bit agitated and then the dolphin spits it out and gives it to the next one before it releases too much and then you see all of these dolphins kind of spaced out you know because you know they're they're high on this puffer fish i'd stuff. be pissed if i was the last fucking dolphin and it got to me and there was no more toxin left i'd be pissed <laughs> if i was the puffer fish and because then then it gets something comes along that is going to attack it and the puffer fish goes i got fuck all left i'm out you have to wait till the next delivery guys you know yeah, or something's chasing him and he can't defend himself, That's and he's going, saying. "Oh shit, I should have stayed home today." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't eat me. Just roll me around in your teeth a bit. You'll like it a lot more. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just—it's amazing. Mm, yeah. I, I, that <laughs> must—that must say something, though. I mean, 
all of that joking aside, that must make, say something about the psychology of dolphins. I mean, we've known for a long time that dolphins are intelligent, right? That that they can learn commands and that they work together as groups and that they can use tools to a certain degree because of of how they protect each other from um, like uh, killer whales and and um, other predators. So, um, if, they, if they've studied, if we've studied them that much, how come we just realised that they like pufferfish? Well, it it was caught on a documentary. There's a documentary that's recently been done, and it, it was caught on there for the first time. And I mean, we're not under the water watching them twenty four seven, are we? So we don't know. But I don't know. I'm and not, maybe it, but... and, and maybe it was seen before. Maybe a maybe a dolphin before you know got one in its mouth, and then whoever was filming it went, oh, he didn't like the taste of that, and spat it out. But now they can actually see this community of dolphins passing the doobie along to each other. You know. Doobie. <laughs> The doobie fish. They're all all like, wow, this is great, man. (laughs) And the puffer's fish is like... Yeah, you can go (laughs) to a disco on the coral reef and have all the pretty colours and cast the... Dory's doing the hula, you know. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, it's uh, it it must say something about their psychology, you know, that maybe... They they like to get high? Well, no, maybe they suffer from, like, mental health stuff. You know, maybe they get depressed. Maybe they need some kind of high. And I'm talking about high as in, you know, they they feel stressed, so they need that release maybe. I just think that, you know, aside of the fact that it's a funny story, it makes you wonder and worry whether they feel stress the way we would feel stress. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, but I've never really thought about whether a um, dolphin would feel stress or not. But I well, would assume that's... that it would. Anything that's alive would feel stress and, and to some degree, wouldn't it? I mean, even leaves and shit on trees, that's why they turn all red and yellow. Autumn. And, yeah. you know, and we think that's pretty. And they're going, oh, my God, I'm dying. And we, all, and we think it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that finished on a high. Thank you very much. Welcome. Yeah. Um. Anyway... <laughs> I uh, hope you enjoyed the show today, guys. Thank you very much. We have got still some more stuff for you coming up. We've got uh, Richard Lenny and Ruth Roper Wild with their sections. Uh, I'll be honest with you. We don't know what it's about this time. We are going to be learning with you because, obviously, with with me not being too well and, obviously, Bella's been working as well, um, we just haven't had the time. So we're going to be discovering what they're going to be talking about at the same time as you today. So thank you very much for listening. Really appreciate it. If you want to comment on any of the things we've discussed today or you want to get in touch or anything else, then you can contact us via our webpage, www.weirdwackywonderful.co.uk, where you can send us... uh, written messages or you can even leave us a voicemail as well so if you want to help us out you can via our buy a coffee link which is also available on our website and also in the show notes of this podcast as well so uh take a look at that um and until next time please stay weird Weird, wacky wacky, and wonderful hi everyone how you doing well here we are autumn's upon us which is pretty much the time for all things ghosts and ghoulie when you think about it. Uh, we've got uh, October the 31st coming up, of course, which is Halloween. And that's the time when traditionally ghosts are able to come out because, uh, so tradition in the West says, the veil between this world and the next is much thinner than it normally is, allowing the paranormal and the dead to be able to roam. So that might be the case, that might not. But I do notice that in my own book, Almanac of British Ghosts, 
which deals with all those ghosts that apparently only come out on one particular night of the year. It is very noticeable that I've got 16 different entries for the 31st of October, Halloween. So we certainly have that tradition. But if you want to try something on one of the other nights, how about the 9th of October? Um, supposedly at Walton Hall Hotel in Stratford-on-Avon, there's a ghost of a pale young man there that shows himself on the 9th of October. And every five years, there's a pale riderless horse rides through the grounds there. Now, I wonder whether they're pale because this is one of those hauntings that's gradually fading out. It's a thought. Unfortunately, I couldn't find anywhere that told us exactly when the five-year cycle falls. So really, you might as well try there any year and see if you're lucky. What I really want to talk about today, though, is Polbrook Airfield. Now, this is in Northamptonshire, and it's the site of uh, what was a World War II airfield. And it's not far from Oundle, just outside, obviously, the village of Polbrook. This first came to my notice a little while back when I was researching another part of the country. And a lady dropped a comment to me to say that her husband used to be a lorry driver. And on one of his runs, it was an overnight run where he'd have to park the lorry up and, you know, take a, a rest period. He used to actually park in the lay-by just outside what used to be the Polbrook airfield. Now, this area now is quite heavily wooded and it's somewhere where people like to go and walk their dogs and, um, you know, take exercise and so on. So it's quite a quiet spot for lorries to be able to park up in this lay-by and, and take their rest periods. He told her, though, that quite often when he parks there, his night would be disturbed by the sound of prop-engined aircraft going overhead and he could hear voices and, and distant sounds like of the airfield in action so he could actually sort of hear people running about and you know clangs and so on as if there was a busy airfield next to where he was parked and of course there were no planes flying overhead at night so he did have to talk around to the other lorry drivers and he found out that he wasn't the only one that was hearing this, that some of the other lorry drivers who use that actual um, lay-by for their stops had heard it as well. So, of course, me being me, I had to go out and see if I could find any correlations for this. So I put a message out on social media and actually got quite a few responses, which always is absolutely thrilling for me. So the first one I had was a lady who wrote to me to say that in 2020... She and her partner were on their way back from somewhere else. And as they drove along the road that passes the airfield through these woods, they noticed that the gate to the airfield was standing open when it isn't usually. So they thought, oh, that's a good opportunity to go and have a look at the monument that there is to the soldiers and the airmen that, you know, fought from there in World War Two. So they drove in and parked up and they were walking around the monument, having a look at it. When she suddenly became aware that she was sort of having a weird feeling as if there was an overlay of reality. So on the one hand, she was very aware of the day they were in, um, quiet, nobody else about, just the two of them walking around the monument. But on another level, she could hear around her a busy airfield with aircraft, booted feet running about, sounds of people working and chatting. And she said it was very disorienting because it was, it was like two levels at once like one reality had overlaid the other 
or superimposed itself on top of its on each other. She said that her partner, because she's checked with him, certainly didn't experience anything like that. But he does remember that she said that she was experiencing this at the time and had said that she just wanted to leave, that she didn't want to stay there any longer. Another chap wrote to me to say that he'd parked up there one night back in the early summer 2021, so only a few months ago, um, in order to have a cigarette or two. So there he is, parked in his car alone in the woods, and he's got his window wound down, it's early summer. And he hears behind him, some couple of hundred yards back, in actually in the woods themselves, this weird guttural scream. Now, he told me that he was absolutely sure that it wasn't a fox or a deer who can both make really weird noises if you live out in the country. And I asked him, is there any possibility it could have been a screech owl? Because I myself have been scared by them a couple of times whilst out doing night investigations. But he was absolutely sure that it was nothing he'd ever heard before. He said it was a sort of low, booming, guttural sound to start with that very, very quickly rose up to a piercing, shrieky, screamy noise. And it actually put him in mind of the noise that the creatures in the film I Am Legend make. Um, and that's what it made him think of, that actual film. Hearing the noise, and with the windows open, he whistled to see if the, there would be a response. And the creature did actually make a response, which he thought, well, that's strange. But about ten minutes went by, there was nothing, no more sound, and he s sat there again, when he heard the sound of some ordinary night creature cry out in pain, as if it had just been bitten or attacked or whatever, immediately followed again by this weird screaming sound. So he whistled again. This time there was a pause of about 10 seconds before there was a response. And the response came from just about 50 yards or so behind his car, which kind of made him sit up and prick his ears a bit. A few seconds later, the sound came again, but from right behind his car. Dave says he couldn't see behind the car, it was too dark, plus his own rear window is kind of faded out, so he can't see through it. So he, did, he never saw whatever it was that was making the noise. But not surprisingly, when it made the noise immediately behind his car, he started the engine and lit off out of there like a bat out of hell. And he has not been back at night since. Um, he's still no idea what it was. But it just made, like I say, it made, it, made him think of that film, I Am Legend, and, and the zombie-like creatures on that that make horrible noises at night. And then finally, another paranormal investigator wrote to me and said he'd seen my request about Polbrook Airfield. And he explained that in 2007, um, they were doing a paranormal investigation at the Bell Inn in Stilton, which is a small village on the A1, only about three or four miles, something like that, from the airfield. And it has quite a strong connection with the airfield because it was certainly used by the airmen during the war. And during this investigation, at one point, they were all stood round in a room when they heard the sound of aircraft rumbling overhead. One of them was so convinced that it was a real sound that he rushed outside, but there was absolutely nothing. It was a still, clear, calm night, absolutely nothing to be seen or heard. They weren't able to explain why they heard the sounds of the aircraft coming through the, sort of down the chimney 
and, and through the fire grate in this room they were standing in. He was also able to tell me that he'd heard lots of stories from the area of people seeing sort of blurry, fuzzy figures of the airmen either walking the road that runs alongside the airfield through these woods or actually walking along what was what would have been the runways at the time. And he himself has driven that road many times at night and has seen strange lights out across where the runway was. He thought at the time it was a tractor with a trailer trundling slowly up what would have been the runway. But one of his friends works in agricultural, actual, actually on that estate where the, uh, Airbrook, where the airfield is situated. And he was able to tell him that no, there weren't any tractors working at night at that time of the year. He's also aware that in times gone past, the area was famous for having black shuck haunting it. And of course, those of you that follow the paranormal know that black shuck is quite an ancient um, haunting in Britain, which it seems is not as ancient as we thought. There are, they are still around. And they form um, large black dogs that are supposed to follow people. And in some legends, if you see a black shuck, it's, you know, a, a portent of doom. You'll you'll meet your fate shortly afterwards. And this puts me in mind of this actual area then is one of these areas that seems to be so rife in things paranormal. It makes you wonder very much about the whole nature of paranormality. Is it the spirits of the dead, those airmen who, you know, lost their lives, no doubt, very tragically in the war? Is it them that are haunting the airfield, the sounds of their aircraft? Is it a time slip type event that's going on? The people are actually sensing that dual overlay of reality that our first lady witness experienced. Or is it something else that's manifesting itself in a way that our modern minds understand? In history, did it manifest itself as a large black dog? Because black, back then, there were wild creatures haunting our woods, real living wild creatures that people had every good reason to be afraid of. They could be injured and, and hunted and hurt by wild boar, wild packs of wolves, wild packs of dogs, whatever. So it's not surprising that maybe something paranormal would present itself as a huge version of that thing that they were terrified of. Whereas in modern days, of course, we're more frightened about UFOs or um, ulterior dimensions or um, zombie-like creatures. So maybe it's just a way that some phenomena is able to manifest in such a way as to scare us away. Who knows? I'll leave you with that thought. Either way, if you go down to the woods today and those woods happen to be at Polebrook Airfield, please take a camera with you and tape recorder, digital recorder, and see if you can pick anything up. As always, if you've got any stories you want to share with me, please just email me on wh1400 at outlook.com. See you soon. Hi, this is Rich Lenny speaking to you from somewhere on planet Earth, and welcome to the Weird, Wacky, Wonderful. And today I want to talk about tracking, how we get tracked by extraterrestrials. And I believe that the uh, way they're doing it is the same way that they're finding people in national parks and um, literally anywhere on planet Earth. Your back door, in a forest, running down a street, you know, 
going for a climb up a mountain. I believe it's all linked. Um, so to give you a quick background, um, I've been a ufologist now for over 30 years, went public in 2011. And in 2012, I went down to Devon because there was a lady down there that said she was seeing basically everything. Craft flying over her property, extraterrestrial beings or some sort of foreign entity walking around in a garden. Her cat, Ebby, uh, kept disappearing and reappearing outside when she didn't have a cat flap and the windows weren't open and she couldn't work out how the cat was getting out until she discovered how. Um, and basically it was all down to these, we'll call them extraterrestrials, you know, whatever they are, they aren't human. And, um, they're certainly not the government doing it, let's put it that way. So I went down there for the weekend, cut a long story short, like I said, did a lot of research, took my equipment down there. I didn't see everything she said she saw, but I saw a good 50% of it. So we can only assume the other 50% is correct also. And she proved without a shadow of a doubt that everything that was going on down there that I saw and witnessed that weekend, she couldn't fake. It was impossible to fake it. The lady was 67 years of age. She lived with one other person who was a manservant type of thing, like a helper, chauffeur, and did his, um, he, he did his stuff for her, like, you know, shopping and stuff. There was no husband. So that was it, basically. And um, so... I sort of sussed it out almost immediately that there was something definitely not right with that place. And the place she lived at um, was a beautiful big house um, in Devon, massive great big gates. You couldn't see the property from the outside. And then when you went in there, she had 100 acres of land. Yes, I said 100. So you can imagine straight away what they were able to do without getting any interference from the outside from the public. So I knew straight away that there was definitely going to be something going on down here. Because if you were an extraterrestrial and you wanted to do experiments and stuff, what about a place to, you know, to go to and to use? Would be somewhere like this, you know, whereas a lady living on her own virtually, um, in a big property with lots of land, I mean, it's a no-brainer. If I was an extraterrestrial, I would probably choose her too. Now, she said that they gave her the ability to see into the IR because I don't know if you know this, but this last few years, they've cottoned on to the fact that we use night vision, which is a form of infrared. So what they've done now is to do their work and to fly their craft from the research that I've done and other ufologists, we've discovered they've moved on down the spectrum. So they're well below the 10 newton meters. Um, which means basically, if you want to see anything really that's going on properly, you need a flur gun. And flur guns are very expensive. You mean you pick them up for about two, three hundred pounds, but they're not that great. You need military grade like you do with night vision. So we all know that, you know, generation three, four onwards, you're looking at thousands of pounds, thousands of dollars. Well, with a flur gun, a military grade one, you're looking at 20,000 pounds. But with that £20,000, you will see everything. And I mean everything. I haven't got one. I don't own a £20,000 gun, But I know people that do. And they've sent me the stuff that they've seen through it. And even though I'm not allowed to share it with you guys, I'm telling you right here, right now, and I may have spoken about this before, there's um, a, a group like myself, but 
you know, they, they um, consist of ufologists, retired scientists, physicists, retired military personnel. They're all together in this group. There's about 100 of them. They're spread out throughout the world. There's one guy that controls them all. And he said that I am allowed, if I want to, I can use any of these guys to help me with my research. So you can imagine how much stuff I've learned in this last couple of years, just purely from using these guys, which I'm very privileged to be able to do. Obviously, they tell me the stuff they send me that I'm not allowed to share it. And of course, I don't. Otherwise, they'll start sending me stuff. But I can only tell you, and this you're going to have to believe, the stuff that's up there is incredible. Um, just quickly before I talk about the tracking, they had a 737 at 30-odd thousand feet. Blue sky, beautiful. Nothing else around it. Flying across with the Fleur gun. It picked up what I can only describe as Apollo, some sort of like Apollo rocket or a Thunderbird 3 rocket of some sort. That was trailing it behind, you know, and you could only see this through the flare gun. Normal night visions wasn't picking it up. Your eyesight definitely wasn't picking it up. But this thing was tracking this 737 and those guys didn't have a clue that that thing was behind them. Now, this is probably going on with virtually all our stuff that we've got up there. You know, I think our planes are being tracked by these craft that we can't see. I think, you know, and well, I know that we are being tracked as well as a person. So coming on to this, which is what I'm talking about now today, is how they track us. Well, while I was down in Devon, I call it the Devon Connection, she showed me that all humans, every single person that's born, male, female, they have three spheres above their heads, which are connected to their bodies. And basically, you have this throughout your life. And then when you die, they sever and float up into the sky, into the ether, and they're gone. <clears throat> now, she doesn't know 100% what they're for, but she said the ETs have told her that they record everything we do throughout our lives. And at the end of it, they float up when we die, and they basically can see everything we've done, and then I suppose we're judged, basically, by that. So this is in the Bible, isn't it, to a certain point, even though they don't mention the spheres as such. So it all seems to fit. Now, the middle sphere, get this, right? The middle sphere, if you do something wrong, like you steal, you know, you hit someone, I don't know, whatever, the middle sphere goes dark gray. If you kill, rape, do anything like that really bad, it goes black. So she said to me, do you want to see your spheres, first of all? I said, yes, please. So she got a phone out and took a photograph of me standing up. I had to stand up, by the way, because when you sit down, your spheres float into the corner of the room. Um, they're not actually, they're attached to you, but they don't stay above your head. They float around, you know, in, in the area you're in. But as soon as you get up, like a string of pearls, they're there above your head and they're with you for your whole life. So I stood up. She took a photograph with her phone and bang, there they were. So <laughs> she said to me, now think of something, you know, bad. And I'll show you that your middle one will go dark gray. So I said to him, well, before you do that, I had a, a cell phone on me. I said, take a photograph with my phone because I had thought, mm, you know, her phone could have been fixed, even though I was in the photograph. So she took my phone. She took a photograph of me. And there she said, there you go. And there were my three spheres. 
and she enlarged the photograph. She showed the middle one and it was sort of clear and it had like, like a membrane going through it. And it on mine, because everyone's different, I had like a twig that went off to the left, you know, like a bent twig. It was really weird. Um, it was like something out of Doctor Who. Quite creepy, you know, to have somebody show you your, what your spheres look like and the fact that you've got them in the first place. Which, of course, until I went down to Devon, I never even knew I had these spheres above my head. Uh, above my head. Oh, by the way, animals have one on their back. I suppose they don't need three because they don't really lie, do they? So they just have one sphere. I don't know what the other one is for, by the way. There's three, remember. So, um, yeah, one um, goes through you and um, records everything you do. The second one is to do with whether you do something bad or not. The third one could be the same sort of thing, just recording everything that you do and, and stuff throughout your life. But anyway, so she took a photograph with my phone. Yep, there they were. So then she said, look, think of something bad and I'll take another photograph with your phone and I'll show you that the middle sphere goes dark grey. So she said to me not to use my laser pen that I brought with me that weekend because it might um, upset the ETs. So I, I thought about using my laser pen. She took the photograph. She said, they go rich. And then that middle sphere with the membrane looking thing with the twig going off to the left, couldn't see it. It was all dark gray. Well, I could just about see it, but it was like a misty dark gray. Unbelievable. So question is, did she fake it? If so, how? And how did she do it on my phone? And then when I was chatting to her, she went, oh, are you feeling OK? And I said, yeah, I'm fine, thank you. She goes, well, your middle sphere just flatlined. And she said, I've never seen that before. So that got me a bit worried. She thought I was going to clog it, I think. But anyway, if you want to hear the whole story, um, Shelley did interview me. And I'm sure I, I spoke about the Devon incident. You know, I call it the Devon Connection. I'm sure if you want to go on that, you'll find it somewhere. Um, just Google me. Weird, wacky, wonderful, it'll come up. I think the program's about an hour and a half, two hours long. And I'll go into detail on everything. Um, the cat disappears in the kitchen. You see the tiles coming through. I mean, I'll say no more, but yeah, it, it's all real and it all happens. So going back to the spheres, I think this is how the ETs are tracking everybody. Because you hear about people that have been taken from the age of four or five up to 15, 16, up to 17, and then that's it. They don't take you anymore. But in that period of 18, 17, 18 years or, or less, 15, 14 years, that person's probably moved about a dozen times or two or three times at least, maybe more, and sometimes even moved to another country. But they still find them and they still take them. So how do they do it? Well, of course, there's things on the Internet that say that when they find you, they implant you with a tracker. So it doesn't matter where you are on the planet, they'll find you which basically is what's going on. But how do they know what type of person to choose? Because they're very choosy about who they take. They don't just take anybody. So how do they know you're the right type of person for them? Well, this is where the spheres come in, I believe. Because everything, of course, we do is recorded. Our DNA's in there and everything. Now, with the missing 411, I don't know if you know about it, but Google it. David Politis does it all. It's about people that go missing mysteriously in national parks and forests. But did you know that they don't just take anybody, okay? They're very particular about who they take. They only take people that are basically um, super intelligent or very bright, 
um, and they'll have a PhD after their name, or they'll be a doctor or a physicist, a dentist, or they'll be very, very active in sports, and they'll have a high Q. Um, you know, these sort of people, they don't just take anybody. So um, they won't take um, a gentleman of the road, shall we put it. You know, they won't just take anybody. They, they're very particular about who they take. And a lot of them are German or um, have German blood in them, which is also very interesting, by the way. Um, yeah, German. It's something to do with um, people who have got German ancestry or have got German blood in them. But how do they know that these people have got all this? This is my point. Well, we've got our spheres, remember? So all the information is on there. Eight billion people near enough on this planet right now. And they can track anybody they want. Now, the spheres that are flying around up in our skies, which I've talked about and talked to you many times. Again, go back onto a podcast to find out about that. I reckon, and I say they're drones, and we believe they are. I reckon these drones are tracking these people. They're going into their spheres. They're finding the right type of people that they want. And then they mark them. And then when it's safe to take them, like when they're on a hike, when they're climbing a mountain, or on their back doorstep having a crafty smoke, that's when they take them. Or when your child of four is playing in the back garden, you turn away. They want that child, by the way, for whatever reason. They'll take them. And then the parent turns back and that four-year-old's gone. And I mean gone. Never, ever found again. So how do they do it? I believe they're using our spheres. So what does this mean? This means that none of us are safe. That means anybody can be taken at any time if our criteria is correct. And, they're, you know, we are what they want. But do you know, I thought of something the other day which is quite funny, actually. Do you remember, I don't know where it came from, but I think it must have been late 50s, early 60s, an American comic somewhere. Do you remember the tin foil, the tin foil hats that they used to say people put on their heads so that the extraterrestrials, the aliens, they called them back then, uh, little green men, couldn't track you? Well, and we all laughed about it, right? Think about it. It may stop them. Putting tin foil or something like that inside your hat, because you will wear hats, right, when you go into national parks or you go climbing or whatever. Put some tin foil inside your hat and put your hat on. I don't know whether it will work or not, because there's no way of actually getting hold of your spheres and doing anything with those. But if you put some tin foil inside your hat, you never know. It may block it out. Isn't it odd? The strangest, funniest thing that we all laughed about you know, um, could come out to be quite practical. And maybe that's where it came from originally, because all these ideas about tinfoil hats, you know, stopping the tracking for the aliens to get you, it could turn out to be correct. But you don't walk around the street with tinfoil on your head, but you could put it inside your cap, right? So all I'm saying to you guys is, we all know what we've got to do now, right? If you go into National Park, especially Yosemite, Someone only the other day went missing three or four days ago from Yosemite, very strangely. It's happening all the time. Yosemite is a real bad one. If you're going to go there, you must take a personal locator beacon. You must. I can't stress this enough. Even if you don't like them, you must take a firearm. Even if you put, if you put it in your, in your haversack, make sure it's on your back, obviously, all the time. But you must carry a weapon of some kind because people have gone missing with just a gun on them or with just a PLB. 
Like never have they ever gone missing with both. But also on top of that, just put some tin foil inside your hat. No one's going to know you've got it, right? Just put it, tuck it in there. No one's going to know. No one's going to laugh at you. It just could be an extra precaution to stop them from basically tracking you and finding you. Because you don't know. You could already be marked. You could already be marked to be taken. You won't know until it's too late. Or they haven't marked you yet. Either way, putting the tinfoil in could stop this. I'm not saying it will. I'm just saying it might. It's just an added precaution on top of the PLB and the sidearm. But anyway, I'm 99.999% certain this is how they're tracking us and how they're finding certain types of people because it's only certain types of people that they take. And how the hell are they figuring that out? Well, that's how they're doing it. And also, by the way, one more thing before I go. Did you know that when people ask for it, everyone that has gone missing and been found, unfortunately deceased, did you know that they all had GHB inside them? Now, I know we all have a very small amount inside us, but they have a, a quite a big amount. So how do they make this possible? Probably through the spheres, right? So again, it's the spheres every time. The only problem with this story that I'm telling you today is you have to believe that you have these spheres. And trust me, guys, you do. Okay? Everyone does. The lady down in Devon, her name was Nina. She said that when she was in traffic on the motorway and she was stopped for whatever reason and they were waiting to move on, she used to count how many people were in the cars. Because the first sphere isn't connected to your head. It's basically about ooh, half a foot from your head. That's the first one. And then you've got the second one up and then the third one up. So what I'm saying to you is that the spheres are above the roof of your cars. So she can tell how many groups of three there are in the car. So if you've got three groups of three spheres and there's three people, right? Two groups of three spheres, two people. And so on. You know, um, and also uh, poor Ed Grimsley, who was a good friend of mine. He's now passed. He was the one that um, told me about night visions. He used to see these spheres floating up um, from roofs of houses when he was like in the middle of the night, when he was like sky watching. And he'd like, what, what the hell's that? So what do you do is the next day he'd go around to that house and you knock on the door and you would just say, you know, did you see any UFOs last night? Did you, do you have any encounters with anything? Because I saw some spheres leaving your, your roof of your house. And they said, no, sorry, sir. We haven't had anything like that at all. We were all asleep in bed. But our uncle did pass away in the night, though. And every time he saw these spheres floating up through his night visions, he'd go into that. He would go to that particular property and they would say the same thing. No, but my dad did pass away in the night. No, but my mum did pass away in the night. No, you know, and so on and so on. So there you go. So he caught the spheres. He knew about it. Um, by the way, Ed Grimsley and Nina never knew each other, never met. So different parts of the spectrum. Ed Grimms lived in America. Nina lived over here in the UK. So there we go. So this is how they're being tracked. So I'm just saying to you guys, if you're thinking of going somewhere in the wilderness, you know, take your personal locator beacon. If you can and you're comfortable with it, please take a sidearm. You know, even if you're never going to use the thing, it's there. You've got it. You feel safe. Also take bear spray with you as well. That's also very important. And um, put some foil inside your hat because you never know, it might just save your life.
And this is Rich Lenny signing off for The Weird, Wacky, Wonderful.